Well, today we're concluding our series that we've been in for the last three weeks called Rhythms. If you haven't been with us, then you go to, can go to our website, hookcommunityonline.org, and watch all the messages there. But to quickly catch you up as to where we've been in this series, uh, this series is based on the book by John Mark Comer called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And in his, in his book, he quotes Dallas Willard as saying, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life in our day. In the first week, we talked about how we need a different, a better way, because the way that we're currently living isn't helping us to become the best possible versions of ourselves. We're tired, we're stressed out, we're burnt out, we're anxious, and maybe even a little bit fearful. And if you're like me, then that's not the person that you want to be. And so we said that we need to establish a rule of life that is an intentionally scheduled set of daily practices and relational rhythms that will root us in the way of Jesus. And for us to do this, we must come under the easy yoke, the easy way of Jesus. It's a way that leads to life. And then the second week, we talked about how we need to find moments of silence and solitude. You see, Jesus sought out silence and solitude on a regular basis, before or after doing ministry. And in those places, God would meet him and refresh his soul. And we need to do the same. We need to clear out the external and the internal noise in order to be present with ourselves and with God. And if we don't do this, then we don't take the spiritual life seriously. You see, in seeking silence and solitude, we set aside time to, as John Mark Comer puts it, to feed and water and nourish our souls. I challenge you to establish this as a daily practice. It's been a daily practice of mine for many years. And again, I'm not going to ask you to do something that I'm not doing myself. Finally, last week, we talked about how we need to set aside time to rest, to Sabbath on a weekly basis. It's a day that God has blessed and made holy. That is, it's different from all the other days of the week because on it, we get to cease from our labors and instead enjoy all that is good about creation. It's a day to rest in the fact that God is reigning over his creation and that we do not. But not only is this something that we need to do on a weekly basis, it's a way of life, a way that leads to life. We said that Sabbath doesn't happen accidentally. We need to be intentional about it. So today we're going to wrap it all up. We're going to look at one more practice that can help us to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives. It's another practice that we learned from the life of Jesus, how he lived and interacted with other people. It's a practice that can transform how we move through our day and how we are present with ourselves and with other people. See, I bake sourdough bread. I started actually long before it was the hip thing to do during the pandemic. My starter is named Zerubbabel, and he's going to be four years old in exactly one month. And here he is. Look, he's very bubbly. You see, I started baking sourdough bread because some of the best bread I've ever tasted has been sourdough and because it has many different health benefits. For those of you that don't know, sourdough is bread made from natural yeast. It doesn't contain baker's yeast, which is the yeast that you buy in the store that causes bread to rise very rapidly. Because all around us are natural yeasts. And so sourdough takes those yeasts and cultures them and uses them to then leaven bread. It's a slow process. Nothing about sourdough is fast, unlike when we use baker's yeast. Because first you have to feed your starter and get active enough to bake bread. Then you combine your ingredients and then let them rest before you move on to kneading the dough. And even then, once you've kneaded the dough, sometimes you have to stretch it over the course of several hours to increase the strength of the dough and to incorporate air into the, the dough and add nice air pockets. And then comes the bulk rise. This can take anywhere from 8 to 24 hours, depending on the fermentation. And during this time, the yeast begin to break down the flour into natural forms that our body can digest. See, it takes time for the yeast and the dough, dough to develop. 
Like so many time, things in our life, they take time. You think about a fast food. You see, a meal from a fast food restaurant isn't bad, but it doesn't have the same flavor and nutrition as a meal from a non-fast food restaurant. And maybe you've experienced that. Maybe you've experienced that something took a long time to develop and the process sometimes seemed unbearable because of the fast-paced life in which we live. But in, in the end, it was worth it. Maybe you gardened for the first time over the last two seasons because of the pandemic, because you know all the non-gardeners were panicked because there was going to be a food shortage, but then there wasn't. But a lot of people started gardening for the first time, and it's a process. You see, the plants just don't grow and flower and fruit overnight. It takes time for these things to develop. And we say the same thing when it comes to our faith. It takes time to develop faith and to develop character, to become more like Christ. It doesn't happen over, overnight. But if we aren't willing to work through this process to put in the time, we'll end up with shallow faith. And that might be where you're at right now. And that's okay, but the point isn't just to stay there. The point is to move beyond. And it's not completely your fault. I mean, we've been taught that we can have everything in an instant. We've been taught that we don't have to wait for anything. We've been taught that to wait for something means it's not worth it. And so when it comes to growing in faith and not getting the results that we want right away, many of us are tempted to walk away because we think that it doesn't work. But our faith and the kingdom of God are like seeds that are planted in the ground. They take time to grow and to develop and to produce fruit. And our faith is like yeast worked through the dough. It takes time to develop. And unless we intentionally slow down the pace of our life, we will be the same people. We will continue to have shallow faith, shallow lives, lives that perhaps aren't that rich. And Jesus came that we might have life and might have it to the full. But many of us aren't willing to step into that life that is slower. John Mark Homer says that we achieve inner peace when our schedules are aligned with our values. To translate to our apprentices, apprenticeships with Jesus, if our values of our life with Jesus and growing maturity towards love, joy, and peace, then our schedules are the set of practices that make up our days and weeks, which essentially together constitute our rules of life and the ways in which we achieve inner peace. It goes back to what we talked about the first week, that how we spend our time is how we spend our lives. And that sometimes our schedules, the rhythms of our life aren't organized to help us grow in the way of Jesus. And so we need a few new disciplines to help us govern, to help us slow down, to help us survive the modern world. See, the word disciple comes and discipline come from the same root word. In order for us to be a disciple, we have an apprentice of Jesus, we must be disciplined. Not disciplined in a legalistic kind of way, but disciplined to cultivate love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And a practice that we can develop to help orient our lives towards these things and to grow in the way of Jesus is the practice of slowing. Slowing, as John Mark Comer puts it, is cultivating patience by deliberately choosing to place ourselves in positions where we simply have to wait. Yuck, you might be thinking. Who wants to do that? Wait? choose to wait? Nah, no thank you. Now hear me out. I promise that if we learn to do this, that we will grow in love, patience, peace, and joy. See, our apprenticeship to Jesus is a whole body endeavor. It's not just part of us. Following Jesus involves the entire sum of our being. And maybe if we slow down our bodies, we can slow down the deepest part of who we are as human beings and taste and see that the Lord is good. So let's look to Jesus. See, Jesus was asked, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. 
And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Matthew 22, 36 through 40. You see, the greatest commandment comes down to loving God and loving other people. You might be wondering what love has to do, has to do, yeah. Sorry. Hold on. We'll get there. Jesus said that the greatest commands, the one on which all the other laws depend, is the law of love. Love God and love people. Yeah, 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 you might be saying it. I've, I've heard that before. Say something new. Well, hold on and just hear me out. You see, after Jesus said these things, he went on to demonstrate for us what that love looked like by laying down his life for the sake of the world. And then later on, after Jesus was raised from the dead and had ascended into heaven, his apprentices, his disciples, worked out what this looked like. And one of those apprentices was the apostle Paul. Paul was the disciple who, before he was a Christian, went around killing Christians, and then he became one and went around promoting Christianity. See, Paul said some things to the church at Corinth because the church was really messed up. The church at Corinth had lots of issues, and the apostle Paul would write to them to help guide them and form them in the way of Jesus. Now, when this letter was sent, they didn't just read it silently. No, Paul selected someone to deliver and read this letter. He would work with that person to tell them how to perform the letter. The reader then would, in essence, act out the letter. He or she would look around the audience and address the people that Paul was addressing in the letter and emphasize things the way that Paul would. Paul wrote this letter to a church that was divided. You might associate it with the love chapter. Maybe you've heard it before read at a wedding. I'm sorry to burst your bubble, but it has nothing to do with weddings. It's about a church divided. See, Paul was addressing issues that the church was dealing with. Sexual immorality, which apostle they followed, the gifts of the Spirit, and orderly worship. And in the middle of talking about gifts of the Spirit and how they should be used, the apostle Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak with tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. If you haven't picked up on it, Paul is nothing without love. He's just an annoying gong without love. He can do all these cool things and give away things, but without love, they mean nothing. And Paul goes on, love is patient. Love is kind. Love is patient. Love does not lose heart. Love perseveres. Love slows down to another's pace. Paul was addressing a church that was divided around what the worship gathering should look like. And his point was that it should consist of the love of the gospel. That is, it should serve to seek others and seek their well-being. Love is kind. It takes active initiative. It is the outflow of being filled with love, the kind of love that God in Christ has demonstrated. Patience and kindness are also fruit of the Spirit. That is, where God's Spirit is active in a person, then these virtues will become apparent. They're supposed to flow out of a relationship with God. And I find it really interesting that Paul mentioned the patient aspect of love first. See, the church in Corinth, from what we can gather, was not a patient group of people. But that's our human nature. Our nature is to want what we want when we want it. And now we have devices and services that give us whatever we want when we want them. How many of you get upset when prime shipping takes longer than a few days? Yeah, I'm right there with you. I need to grow in patience myself. And I think Paul knew something about us as human beings that we sometimes overlook. I think he knew that we have a tendency to be impatient, and that being impatient, we move past other people. We overlook them. We treat them in ways that are less than human. 
But Paul is just encouraging those who had followed Jesus to push against what is natural, to become more patient. Because how do we become more patient? We have to slow down. We have to learn to wait. We have to wean ourselves off of our adrenaline. So if we're going to be people who are growing in love and joy and peace, we have to become more patient. We have to learn to slow down. And this is essential to the life of a Jesus apprentice, someone who, as they move through life, is shaped by the love of Jesus. And we can't get there by hurrying. We can't develop Christ-likeness without growing in patience, without slowing down a bit. And Paul continues on. He says, it does not boast. It, it, it does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. You see, love requires humility. Because in humility, we consider others better than ourselves, the Apostle Paul would say to the church at Philippi. Jesus himself did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or to be used to his own advantage, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant and being obedient unto death, even death on a cross. And that's the picture of love that Paul has in mind. It's a picture of love that is to guide his apprentices. Going on, he says, it does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. You see, love honors another person. It is not self-serving, but self-sacrificing. It considers the needs of another person. And in order for us to consider the needs of other people and for us to see them in the first place, we have to slow down. Because speed says it's about me and my agenda. Hurry says it's all about how much I can get done because after all, I mean, I'm the one that makes the world go around. None of us would ever say those things out loud, but that's how we live when we live a life of hurry. When we choose to hurry instead of choosing to wait. Going on, he says, that it is not easy angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. See, love bears with the failings of another person as Jesus bears with us in our failings. And there it is, is again, love involves patience. It is slow to anger. Love believes the best about another person, the potential that God has placed inside another person. But we can't even begin to believe the best about another person if we don't slow down long enough first to see them as human and then second to learn about them. And love is the way of Jesus. And we can't grow in love if we don't slow down our souls to the pace of another person. If we're going to call ourselves apprentices of Jesus or his disciples, then we must walk at the pace of Jesus, a pace that was slow enough to recognize the needs of another person, a pace that was slow enough to take in all that was good and beautiful about creation, a pace that was slow enough to consider the cost and to count us worth it. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects always hopes, always trusts, always perseveres. And that is the way of Jesus. If we want to become the best possible versions of ourselves, then this is what we need to do. We need to slow down. And this is something that you can do if you're not a Jesus follower. But if you are a follower of Jesus, then this is something that isn't optional for us. It's something that we must do if we are to reflect the love of God to those around us. So let's slow down. Because so often we want quick fixes to grow in our faith, to feel closer to God. We want to come to church and then leave for the next month or two and always feel God's presence. We want to be more loving and more patient people, but rarely, if ever, are we willing to put in the time needed to cultivate these things. 
the spiritual life, the way of Jesus is slowly methodical. So often we don't want to slow down enough to surround ourselves with people that will help us to grow in our faith. And it doesn't happen overnight, but it's something worth waiting for. You see, the method of Jesus took years to accomplish. He had a plan and he worked methodically towards it. And we know that it wasn't fast. It wasn't as fast as what his disciples wanted it to be. And even then, his disciples were works in progress. Three years of being with Jesus, and they didn't fully grasp who he was. It took a lifetime to cultivate the character that we know them by today. Somehow we think that we're different. Somehow we think that we're the exception. We think that we can find a workaround to the system of growing spiritually. But the Bible says that we are like trees planted by a river. They take years to get to the stage where they can begin to blossom and to bear fruit. In fact, that takes some years, 20 years to get to that stage. And unless we slow down to cultivate the disciplines, we will never become the people that God wants us to be. And I know, I, I myself would wish God would work faster, but God desires to work through us and in us to accomplish his purposes. And that's a beautiful thing. So now let's get practical in some ways that we can slow down our bodies enough for our souls to catch up. First, drive the speed limit. Plan a little extra and give yourself a little extra time to get somewhere. Next, stop at a full stop sign. Are you really going, gaining anything by coasting through? Slow down enough and stop. Third, show up 10 minutes early to an appointment and leave your phone in the car. Or show up to church early and get to know people. Read the materials in the waiting room or talk to other people. And begin by acknowledging that it's weird to talk to other people like that and get the conversation going. Fourth, get in the longest line at the grocery store and pray for the people in front of you. That will cultivate character in you. Get behind that person who's got the cart that's overflowing or the lady with the big coupon book. Fifth, turn off notifications on your phone. This includes the banners that come through that tell you that at so-and-so just posted for the first time in a long time on Instagram. Get rid of those distractions that are keeping you from slowing down. I've done this, and it's, it's hard to do. And right now, the only notifications on my phone are from text messages and phone calls, but it's been worth it. Six, parent your phone. Put it to bed before you go to bed and make it sleep in. Don't let it rule your life. Be in charge of it. Seven, limit your time on social media and email to set times during the day. I said it last week, you can actually set time limits on how long you can use the apps. Do it. I do this for Facebook, and it's amazing. Get rid of those distractions and find something else to do with that time. Eight, Keep your phone off until after your morning quiet time. Resist the urge to check the notifications and your news until after your quiet time. Remember week two about silence and solitude? Nine, limit the amount of time you watch TV or get rid of it. Don't get sucked into the binge-watching black hole and be present with other people. Ten, walk slower. Just changing the pace at which you walk can help us to mentally slow down and to be more present. And when you walk, don't do it looking down at your phone Take in the world around you. 11, set a regular time for silence and solitude. Do it daily. Make it a regular part of your daily routine. And I promise that even when you don't feel like doing it, you will do it because it's just what you do every day. 12, resist the urge to take a picture of whatever moment you're seeing. Just stop and enjoy it. We miss out on so much because we feel like we have to take a picture. Stop, soak it in, breathe in deeply, enjoy all that is good about God's creation. And finally, be grateful. Ronald Rollheiser, a Catholic priest, says this. He says, gratitude is the basis of all holiness. The holiness person is the most grateful person you know. That is true for love. The most loving person you know is also the most grateful person you know because even love finds its basis in gratitude.
And so there we have it. We have 13 different practices that can help us to slow down in life. 13 practices that can help us to notice the good about creation, the people around us, and can help us to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Practices that can help us to cultivate a spiritual life. That can help us to cultivate love and joy and peace. That can help us to become the best possible versions of you. And so as an apprentice of Jesus, we must learn to slow down because love is patient. It is kind. Slowing down allows us to become more like Christ to the people around us. See, the things that we hurry for haven't made us more like Christ. They've caused us to become less like him. So maybe it's a time for us to embrace slow, to push back against the speed of society, to learn what it means to truly live. Again, Ronald Rollheiser in his book, Sacred Fire, says this. He says, the human soul is like a fine wine that needs to ferment in various barrels as it ages and mellows. Growing up and maturing is precisely a process of fermentation. It does not happen easily without effort and without breakdown. Jesus wants to cultivate, to develop that in us. He wants to work in and through us in order to make us the best possible versions of ourselves. And this only so that we might reflect the goodness and love of our Heavenly Father. So let's slow down. Let's embrace the the hard work that it's going to take to develop this. Let's put in the time reading and praying and meditating and, and practicing Sabbath and all the other disciplines because they will lead to life more abundant. If you want help in establishing a rule of life, then go ahead and text NEXT to 330-868-6888, and we will work with you to come up with a customized plan to help you grow and to develop these habits that will make you more loving, more joyful, more peaceful person. Again, text NEXT to 330-868-6888. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that that love is patient, that it is kind, that you were patient with us in our afflictions and in our, in our sin. Lord, that you did not consider equality with God something to be used to your own advantage, but you emptied yourself. So Lord, may we slow down enough to empty ourselves for the sake of other people. And in doing so, Lord, would you cultivate in us that fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Lord, would you make us the people that you want us to be? And in doing so, Lord, may you spread the good news of your kingdom to the world around us as you work through us. Lord, I thank you that you are patient. Give us the, the boldness, the courage, the discipline to develop these daily habits, to walk in your way. In your name I pray. Amen.